Hello, everyone, and welcome to another American Scouser podcast. I am your host, as always, Timuchin, on this fine Monday evening. And with us today is the usual crew, which also includes Alan Walnuts, who already jumped on to say greetings from Houston. But couldn't get one even in one introduction. I think he's just like in the background, just waiting for it to go live. But uh, thanks, Alan, for being with us as always. And let us introduce to the other guys who are barely with us. Bickler is back in the stadium, had to stick with the stadium today for the background. What's going on, Bickler? I'm here. I made it. I'm alive. Yeah. And that's pretty much all. The, we only asked for the basics off of you, and that's yeah. what we get. So it all works. And I keep waiting, all- which is a little bit disappointing, but here I am. <laughs> so is everybody else probably. But here we go. Gally yeah. is with us as well. Still working on that green screen. What is going on there, Gally? How's it going? Uh, listen, dude, there's a lot going on here in Western Massachusetts right now. Uh, between this dog trying to get ready to go on vacation, wrapping a bunch of shit up, and trying to get this thing up on the wall. I tried once. It almost came down on my head. I quickly realized the uh, carpenter gene got passed and skipped a Gallivan generation. So I got to wait for the senior Gallivan member of the household to actually show the bleep up with his freaking tools and help me out because he told me he'd be here three times but like most fathers he's on his own calendar and schedule i'm speaking to both of you i'm sure you know exactly what i'm talking about yeah i i have no idea what you're talking about but okay no. let's go with that boy by the way it sounded like the dog was going on vacation is the dog going on vacation or are you guys going on vacation we we are going on vacation this vacation was already um pre-arranged prior to the dog coming in so lucky for us um Maybe my father is paying me back and not showing up to help with the green screen because he was stupid enough to volunteer to take the dog for a week before he met said dog and realized exactly how much energy this bleeping puppy has. So uh, he's going to get his fill, let me tell you, next week. And he'll probably be like this when I get home and he'll probably never volunteer to take uh, grandpa daycare ever again. I was going to say, yeah, you might want to get him to do this background before he gets that dog's. He sounds like a vicious beast. Okay, speaking of vicious beasts, let's do some trivia. Bickler, since you were out getting drunk on a business uh, trip uh, last week, uh, we had to skip trivia. But since you guys enjoyed the trivia that we did last, which was a number of Premier League teams that you guys kind of questioned and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but it was right. So let's do a follow-up question on that. There are three teams who have been in the Premier League only once for one season. Can you guys name these three teams? Based on Bickler's reaction, he has already given up. But Bickler, let's start with you. Three clubs have been. I love there these because you know I can like barely remember what day of the week it is. So let's do history, right? Um, that'll go well. Let's. Uh, I mean, how do I fill dead space while I try to think? I mean, Huddersfield Town. I'll go with. They've probably been there more than once, but I'll go Huddersfield Town. God, I almost need to see like the list of all 60 teams through the divisions. Huddersfield Town, uh, Blackpool. Um, I don't know. That's that's those are the only time. I'm hey, sure we got wrong. two guesses out of you. I, I yeah. count that as a win. Uh, yeah, Gally, I did too. I got to run the same page. <laughs> Not bad gases, actually. Not not too bad. Not too bad. I'll give nah, you it kills me because Huddersfield Town stayed up. They had the miraculous survival day on the last day of the year, and they stayed up for one season. So it's not them. Ah, um, damn I know. Damn, I was thinking burn. the same thing. I was going with them. I, I was gonna say, I, it's. I don't believe it's Blackpool. Um, I think it's been there too. I don't think that's I right. Like, I mean, I, I'm just gonna throw. I, I'm going to say a name, uh, Bolton, which I know is wrong. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, you just want me to like throw stuff out there. Ipswich Town and uh, Preston. And I don't think they've ever even made the top flight. Here we go. Blackpool at least got one over there. So we have a semi-winner in Bitcoin. Oh, Honestly, look at that. Blackpool that and wrong. Swindon Town are the ones that are only one season. 
And BJ, who is our source for this week's trivia, actually went above and beyond. After being questioned for the 50 teams, he went above and beyond, even made the chart so you guys can question it with all the facts over here. But Barnsley, Blackpool, Swindon Town, only one season in the Premier League. You guys see the two seasons and Reading with three. So that was this week's trivia. I thought it was actually a good one again. So thanks, BJ, for that one. I'm actually impressed I actually got one of them. We all are actually. <laughs> I honestly, I did not know. I figured like I would have guessed Huddersfield as well because I did forget about what uh Galley was talking about. That would have been one of my guesses as well. So I'll give you guys semi partial credit for that. So me and Galley were talking about this last week. We kind of discussed about Nunez, uh, about these preseasons and stuff like that. And Galley, I'm gonna start with you because we were talking about this. We were like, hey, all we want for Christmas is a Nunez goal so he can kind of get it out of the system. Well, we got that and then some. So, what do you think of that game overall? Obviously, the biggest story coming out of it was the fact that he got four goals, one of them courtesy of Mo, which I thought was also like a risky premise, by the way, because he misses the penalty kick. You're just like going back three squares instead of going back to square one. But uh, so what do you say, Gally? Well, first thing I say is, is, you know, I need abs like Darwin Nunez. And if you haven't seen the picture of him with the seven foot fish in the 27 pack that he has of abs without a shirt on. Wow. That's some impressive man right there. That being said, that's not even as impressive as the second half performance was, in my opinion. I think with the amount of pressure he had, based on the negative social media that was coming from trolls and from idiots from across the globe that like to just, you know, be doomsday and chicken little and woe is me every time there's, you know, something goes wrong. I think he had a lot of pressure on him. I thought it was telling that Mo turned the penalty over to him for the fact that we always talk about the camaraderie inside the unit, inside this club. And the fact that Klopp had no idea, and when asked about it afterwards, Klopp was like, yes, I'm shocked. Mo Salah never gives up chances to score goals. It doesn't matter when it is. I think that shows that the, the, the squad as a whole was feeling the pressure that was being put on Darwin. From Trent's comments to Hendo's comments to uh, Mo giving him the penalty. All that said, as I watched it on this exact same monitor that I'm looking at you on now, My heart dropped when I saw him take the penalty because I absolutely thought it was getting saved and it was about to be twice as bad for him. Then it goes in, the relief, the joy. He runs around like a kid. And two minutes later, he slots one home that shows really the class that he has. Uh, I thought the second goal was the cream of the crop. Uh, It was his turn, his touch, and the fact that he did what all great strikers do, which is the. it seemed like the play slowed down as soon as there was a chance for maybe a lesser quality finisher, it would speed up and they'd be rash at it. And I think what you saw there was just a guy, he could have went near post. He slots it far post, bends it around the keeper, just a perfect kind of turn and finish. And I think that's that natural goal scoring knack that we heard so much about. And I'm so excited to see moving forward in the future. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I would have been happy with one just to get it out of the system uh, it could have been one of those where Mo was like, I'm not going to give you Jack rest of the season so you can have this penalty right here kind of a deal too. But I mean, the second goal, like you said, Galia, I think it's like we kind of like saw everything, right? The second goal he scored was like a great finish, like a striker's finish. The third one is more like a poacher's goal where it doesn't have to be pretty. It's just a matter of being there. The fourth one, I guess you can give some of it to the goalie. Uh, it probably should have been saved. But uh, what do you make of those, Beckler? Uh, I mean, yeah, obviously happy for him to get off the mark. I think I think we can't have it both ways. You know, we're going to say it's just preseason when he doesn't score, and then we're going to say, like, it's the best when he scores four and a half, right? I mean, either way you look at it, I think it's preseason. If I'm being objective and honest about it, I thought the goalkeeping on all four was not great. Like, I thought – I honestly thought the pen could have been saved. I thought the positioning on the first was terrible. I thought he should have done better on the set. Like, I just thought the goalkeeping wasn't great. But, like, the fact of the matter is, is, like, he's in the positions that you want him to be in. And I think that says everything. I think as a striker, that's half the game is – is and to do – I think the encouraging thing is that he seems to have genuine chemistry very, very early. 
with this team, mm-hmm. which is probably a combination of the way they train um, and some other things. But like, I, that's, that's the promising thing, right? Is that like, he's in the right spaces and there seems to be some fluid connection between that front three already, which is like uh, everything we could have asked for at this point. So that kind of like brings us to our, what I wanted to talk to you guys about next. Uh, he, during the week, and actually I heard it again a lot today, but of course it's like the same sources being shared. A lot of rumors about Juventus actually making an offer for Bobby. Uh, we had quite a lively discussion of this in the Discord channel, uh, especially like Gally and I were talking a lot about this. Uh, but Bigler, I'm going to start with you for this one. I assume even like I think like Gally's going to say like as of like timing wise, I think we're going to say no. Right. I mean, where are you with that? Like, do you take is there a certain price you would take? And I mean, you, you know, the player right? on the squad. So like, I feel like I just, I like legitimately ignored discord today. Not only cause I was busy at work, but I saw Firmino talk and I was like, I'm not even getting involved in this because it's just like, I feel triggered very easily by Roberto Firmino stuff. Um, I think that the value that he brings to the club from a developmental, from not only like a locker room, angle but from what you want to develop in terms of i specifically me what i want to see out of carvalho i think is worth 20 million alone if he doesn't even step foot on the pitch to play like uh i do not see i don't see any value in getting 20 million for him right now i don't see why liverpool would even do that like they don't need to do it i don't think that they need it's not like they need to free up funds right now um i just don't see there's no win for us in that, in my opinion. How about you, Gally? I mean, obviously, we discuss a lot in Discord, but nobody's on Discord. And why the hell not? You guys should definitely like message us if you're interested in the Discord channel. Uh, just come over there. There's like there was a lot of chat about music today, actually, as well in the music ch- channel. But we pretty much talk about everything. Obviously, the majority of it is LFC. So, Gally, I know your take is more about. Liverpool losing players basically on a free transfer at the end of the deal. Uh, so what do you stand overall on this? I mean, I lit the discord bomb off with the comment. I think it was yesterday morning or Sunday morning, whenever it was when I, when I posted it, my point of the conversation was, was I wanted to see if I could get anyone to talk about selling players and or assets. And what was funny was, was it, um, I said three times, like, this isn't about selling Bobby Firmino. It's more of a conversation because of the reports about Firmino this morning. Yet in every time I would ask people, so who will you sell in this current squad? And not one person actually put a name up outside of me and you talking about selling Ox. So my point was, was if you can't sell Gomez, you can't sell Jones, you can't sell, you know, you don't want to sell anyone. There's no va- there's no price that someone wants to sell Jones. There's no price someone wants to sell Simicast. There's no price. At some point, some of these players will be sold. So my question was, was how much is the number where people would consider we should make this move? I knew what including Bobby's name in it would do, but I wanted to see if anyone would have that conversation because I do feel sometimes it's, it's like in baseball, and I know you hate the analogy, but it's a good, it's similar. In baseball, everyone falls in love with prospects. Prospects, prospects, prospects. I can't give up this prospect. You can't give up this prospect. It's like you, 90% of the time in Major League Baseball when a trade has happened, the team that gets the certified professional wins the trade because everybody else is suspect. And most times they don't even pan out, and they're 18-year-old kids, and they, they come along later. So it's similar when it comes to football at times. And I was talking about other clubs who have sold players on for profits that they paid large amounts for. And I understand our model's different, but I think you can only allow so many players to leave on a free season after season and not recoup any of the fees. Like, I think Liverpool was happy that Mane wanted to leave and they were able to actually make a profit basically on Sadio Mane after seven seasons here. Because I think at some point it helps when you sell a Sterling for 60 million. It helps when you sell players at value. And I just question whether or not 
this concept of letting everyone walk on a free eventually will come back and bite them. I'm with Paul. I believe that there was a war chest. I believe COVID changed things and there was still some money left over because they run the club so tightly. But at some point, you're going to have to look at getting fees for players instead of letting. I mean, there'll be five more players walking at the end of the year on a free this year. Who are those players, though? Kada, Firmino. Who we're trying Milner. to extend. So let's assume he gets I, extended. But will we extend them? They're in the last year of the contract. Milner, you get nothing for. Like, here's what I said. I'm going to let you list the five players. But I think there's I think there's some truth to what you're saying. But I think that you are – I think this that's a dramatic take because I'll tell you why. When you list those five players, I think half of them you're going to see we're going to try to extend. The other half we don't get value for anyway when they walk. And I think what we've done as a club is that we've basically constructed enough add-in value – on deals where we are getting sell-on percentages from other clubs and selling bit part players, whether it's set next year uh, or other players that are out on loan. You know, like I think we accumulate and we let, like we essentially will sell five or six youth players that are out on loan and get 25 to 30 million for them. I think there's, I am fairly certain that this club is sitting on money right now, probably to go for Jude at some point, but like, my question is, is, like, why do we need to sell anyone right now? Why? I don't think we do. Do you think that we need to sell someone to go get somebody? I, I, that wasn't my question. Again, was this was about eliciting a conversation that I've been trying to have with people in that Discord channel because honestly, no one is critical of this club. I mean, let's be real. We we have some. Yeah, I mean, we got Kazi's really, critical about everything, and then wants to bring well, in a dumb. That's different. <laughs> that's a different story. I mean, we're we're talking we're talking apples, oranges, and Kazis when we start bringing him into the equation. But you know, when we when we really sit down, I mean, they they ran at us about Tyler Morton isn't good enough. I've heard that Jones is literally the next second coming of everything and can't find minutes on the pitch. We've kept Ox around for two and a half seasons when there was value at times in selling him off. And I do think that we could have gotten a fee for Genie at a time. And we were trying to re-up him, but we kind of gambled, saw the tea leaves. He got to the last year of his deal and he walked. And I think that we could have gotten a value out of Ox at some point. And I just think it's a philosophy. I think we could have sold the Rigi three different times and made a profit. And instead we basically, he stayed right till the end. And I know he didn't want to leave, but these are players that could have brought in value and you're, I just think that it is a slippery slope when you continually let it happen. Because next year at this point, there'll be people telling me we can't let Matip go. But they're not going to give Matip another contract at 32 years of age, a multi-year deal. So he walks into his last year at the end of the season. So what I was trying to get from folks is, is it Jones? Is it Matip? Is it Simicast next year? Who do we eventually sell? Because... I think you do have to buy and sell players. I mean, it's like any other business. There does have to be some money coming in. I'm with you, Paul. I think there's money there. And I wasn't saying sell Bobby. I was trying to elicit a conversation to see if anyone would ever talk about selling one of this current squad. And then in that Discord channel, the answer was no. Yeah, see, I think the thing is you got to look at, while I understand you want to get something rather than nothing for these players. I think the biggest thing that they're looking at, because I don't think this is by design. I mean, I, I should say this is by design. This is not like incompetence on the club's part of not, not being able to seal the guys on the last year and stuff. It's about basically looking at what the replacement cost is. Let's say Divac, you know, to replace oh, Divac, you know, what is it going to take? You're going to have to get somebody else to play that role and I think, you know, it goes back to, I think this is coming from Klopp as well. I think he values consistency and values, like, the team concept. And if, like, Bickler was talking earlier about, like, Nunez feeling, you know, like, comfortable and being able to, you know, kind of, like, get with the squad really fast. I was watching, like, one of those uh, silly sponsored videos they do with Calvario, Milner, Ox, and... Uh, uh, Elliot and stuff. I think it helps when you have only two or three players come in. 
it's a lot easier to acclimate those guys and fit into a culture, whether that's at practice culture, the locker room culture, and everything else, as opposed to constantly trying to move these guys for five, six million, whatever you're going to get for them, get somebody else in and not be able to create that. That's what I think part of this is goes back to what Klopp values. And that's why we're letting these guys, we're rather to let them run out his contract and get nothing for it rather than selling him for five, go get another guy and then have like that new character, get another new character in the locker room. Yeah. And I, I actually agree with you. I'm not, I mean, I had this question with you guys on the pod when they had the Mo deal, like is part of this creating value in case he decides he wants to leave in a year or two. And now you could actually recoup a fee instead of him walk for free. And I, I, I do think they do this. Paul said it earlier. They send players out on loan with the intention of then raising their value to sell them next year. If Sepp secures this loan to Bournemouth and has a great year and proves he is a Premier League center back under the age of 25, we're going to garnish $25 million for him alone. And that's off paying 300000 or 600000 whatever they did to buy him. And that's brilliant business. And I, I'm fine with that. And I agree. You sell small pieces, you buy bigger ones, and we have some cash. I just don't think you can keep letting all of your large assets run down their deals because we keep talking about how Tiago is going to have to be replaced. Henderson's going to have to be replaced. Fabinho's getting up in age. There's a good chance none of them will recoup a fee for you either. So now we're talking about the entire midfield and Keita. Our top four midfielders in the next two years could be Two to three years could be out the door without bringing in a dollar. Jude Bellingham solves a lot of problems at 150 million. He doesn't solve four. You know, you don't get one out of four. So it, are, are we saying you're replacing those guys with Harvey Jones and Morton? Because that's how you recoup with that lower income. Because that's what a lot of clubs do that let these players leave. They, they replenish through the youth ranks. And at the same time, our guys don't want to talk about selling our players. They also don't want to hear that the the youth kids are good enough at this level because they're just there's there's no chance they're all turning out to be Trent. That's all my point is is we're gonna have to keep buying and I do think there is you know I do think it's gonna be something eventually if they keep this model up it won't work long long term. That was my point of the conversation and I just knew Bobby would actually get people to reply, but nobody it answered sure the did. question. It got me to reply, that's for sure. Because <laughs> I'm a huge and then Bobby. I said I five times. Do. I think and then I said did. five times, I don't want to sell Bobby. <laughs> I think we just saw this whole Nunez thing by itself. How dare you, Gally? How, Bobby How fucking dare you? How dare <laughs> I wind you all up? <laughs> so I think I see us more, if you look at this whole football transfer market thing, is almost like a stock market. I feel like, you know, we do the cheaper stocks. And deal in those, and we've been successful at it. You know, we buy the Taki and turn around and sell them. You're talking about like SEP. I mean, we've done it before, Solanke and stuff like that. And I think we kind of like doing that more rather than, you know, play that game on like the key players. What do you think, Pickler? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's true. I mean, you look at Ben Davies, we bought him and flipped him for double. Um, like, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of that. I think there's a lot of investment pieces where we buy low. And then I think I'm – Gally's got a point. I mean, how many – can you have a starting 11 and run them all down? Like, I mean, I think – I think with the way we're set up, we could get pretty darn close because the team is pretty staggered age-wise. I think we probably could get pretty close to running them all down if we wanted to and still building. It's a very unconventional model of building, but I think I think it could be done. Uh, I don't think that's I don't think that's an intentional strategy. I think it's a case-by-case basis. Like I look at Nabi and I think they are going to try to extend him, and I think they're going to try to get money off that sale. I think if they've had a suitor for Ox, they'd probably they would probably ship Ox off. I think there are pieces like you know, I suspect Jones will make will get transferred at some point. Like there there are pieces in here, right? I mean, um, I think what we're trying to do as a club is bring in the big pieces at a young age on low wages. I, I and I think low is a relative term. Like I'm talking like that hundred to one hundred and fifty range, right? 
which would be a lot for any of the mid mid to lower mid table clubs. But I think the deal with that is is like we want to get these players. I think there's a long I think there's a long game in this. I think the idea is to get these players and lock them in while they're young, and then you've got the entire developmental period to get them to what where Mo is right. Mo's on record setting wages at three fifty, but it's his it's his it's his last contract with the club. And then the idea is is like we can we can have one or two players on those wages. But the longer we have them, the longer we have the gauge and know whether that's worth it, A, and B, to justify that in a player over the long haul. So I think that's the that's the end game is just to basically get them like in young on reasonable wages, and then you can grow that. And say there's a situation where you have to offload them. Now all of a sudden you have a player on reasonable wages in a prime position. You can command a top, top transfer fee for that player. Oh, it says Bichtel looking better than Steve Hunter at the top of Anfield. I give that to mostly the leather chair, I think, but that's just... I don't know what any of that means, but I'll take it. <laughs> so this kind of brings us to another conversation. Uh, you know, we're talking about like Jones and some of these young guys. I feel like this season, I, as I always say, for Ox, a great opportunity. This is going to be a good opportunity for a lot of those younger kids because with the five substitutions in the Premier League, it's going to be giving these guys a lot more opportunities to get some minutes, a lot more rotation. And I think for a player like, you know, Jones especially and Elliott and obviously Carvalho coming in has more time out of himself to be able to prove himself. But I'm going to talk about that a little bit in terms of like the five substitutions. We always joke around about like club making use of them, but I thought like last year was the first time we saw him taking advantage of it more and more and more. Uh, how does it impact the Premier League galley and us specifically? Well, I struggle with it because I don't trust that the managers, you know, Paul likes to joke in Discord and say, you know, you can't trust everything the manager says. He's an honest and good guy, but he lies the shit out of himself all the time. And he's telling the truth on that, right? He's absolutely right. The dude has the best coach speak in the world. He tells us what we want to hear as supporters half the time. He loves every player. No, no one's ever had a bad training session. They're just He just builds everyone up because he knows it's how it gets the most out of them. He also loves to freaking bitch about having substitutes and needing more subs in the turnaround between games and then starts the same 11 week in and week out in the Premier League and doesn't rotate. So I want to believe we'll see that. I also want to believe it means more minutes for the kids, but I don't actually believe it. Because I still think in every match, the first midfielder that comes off the bench is going to be the one who doesn't start between Keita, Fab, Hendo, and Thiago. I still think in most instances, when a defender needs to come in, I think if anyone gets more minutes, I think Simicast will get a little bit more run, given Andy um, breathers at the end of matches. Because I think if there's a guy who looks like he gets knackered at different points throughout the season and you see little dips and forms. Um, it's probably Robertson. And I think we've said it before. I think that comes back to the pressure on him to captain his country, to play such a huge role for Scotland in every single match. The fact that the guy doesn't have it in him to not give 125% literally in every second of every match. And I think Simicast is starting to, you know, in some circles even push for the argument that there are certain attributes of his game that are better than Rabo's. And, and that's crazy to say when you're talking about the best left back in the world, but you know, when Simicast came into that match against Leipzig, the crosses he put in the couple of corners he delivered there. I mean, they are world-class. So I could see him getting a little bit more minutes towards the end of games and matches, maybe Ramsey towards the end of the season, but up front, I still think it's it's Jota and Carvalho and you know I won't be shocked if it's three substitutions a Milner run out to get a kick in or two and then some guy getting tossed on with 2 minutes to go you know whether it be one of the young kids or someone getting bled in I I genuinely don't believe the five substitutions will do that much different to our rotations I still think it'll end up being 14 to 15 total players playing the majority of the matches. 
Man, see, I think a couple of years ago, I would have agreed with you. I, last year has kind of changed my mind. And I think knowing what we've done last year, the number of games we played last year will kind of play into clubs thinking of how it's run. I mean, do I think I'm talking in terms of more subs? I think we will see some of these guys more. I know about like a player like Ramsey, for example, but I want to see more of, you know, like. You know, if he's Salir, obviously, and if he's healthy, like players like Ox, Elliot Jones, these guys getting into that midfield because we obviously everybody's concern overall, I would say, is the depth at midfield to be able to give those guys more rest. So like Hando and Fab and those guys don't play like ridiculous minutes. I guess the only thing that worries me in that sense is I don't know how many people can substitute for that position out of all the names I mentioned, except maybe your guy Milner coming in to get a yellow card later in the game. Paul, you are the biggest critic of club's substitution patterns. Of everything. Has last year changed your mind? No. I mean, no. Like, look. So... I'm hopeful that this means more minutes for Carvalho and Harvey Elliott. Okay. Like that's, I mean, if we, if we can agree that our best three are still Diago, Hendo and, and Fabinho, that's my hope is that this means more minutes for those kids. I think the reality of it is it means more minutes. It means five substitutions and more minutes for kids in cup matches. And if anything, maybe like a hockey style line change in the 84th minute of a game. Exactly. Like, like uh, I hate that. I really do hate it. I can see why people are annoyed with the club because he does run his mouth about stuff that he's not going to do anything about. I mean, um, but I mean, maybe I'll be proven wrong. I would love to see more midfield rotation. I'd love to see some, you know, him put in additional subs and play with some different formations, but I just, uh, it kind of is what he is. He sticks to the system and like he, always makes those changes with the same players about 20 minutes after we're asking for them. So we will see. I have much more confidence. Like I say, last year has kind of changed my mind to look forward to seeing a lot of that this year. Cause I think we've learned our lesson of, and even with that last year, obviously with the number of games we played, you could see the, you know, the boys getting more and more tired. I think that will kind of, figure into the equation and that's where like the depth and everything comes in so paul i want to start with you on this one in terms of the league how do you think it will affect the premier league uh, does it obviously help the big boys as good old sean douche used to say before he got canned out of burma i'll say it as a neutral fan uh i think i'm excited to see more players i'm excited to see more young kids get opportunities i'm excited to see more formation changes i'm excited to see more craziness at the ends of games with trying to impact games with substitution patterns and and putting different players on um you know there was always this argument for like the burnleys of the world that that like they were at a competitive disadvantage in in this case uh because you know i mean of the talent drop off right um I think with the TV money generating nowadays, there's always going to be a discrepancy between these mid to bottom table teams versus the top tables, but not enough that they can't continue to fill out squad depth and give kids opportunities. And, and if anything, I think it gives them more opportunities to really vet some of these younger players in their squad and really see what they have at certain points of the year. Um, so I don't know if I necessarily buy that it's a competitive advantage for the bigger clubs. Um but yeah, I'm just excited as a as an actual fan of the game to, to to see more see more players. I think it's gonna be interesting to see how it affects the smaller clubs in some ways. Cause you know, we talk about, you know, when a team has so much possession at home, let's say, you know, at Anfield or like, you know, when these smaller teams go and try to hang on for dear life and stuff, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, having that possession, wearing the defense down and stuff. This kind of gives them an opportunity to put some fresh legs out there. Obviously, now there's a drop in quality and maybe like shape and stuff like that. So I think it's gonna be more important to see do these guys that were maybe not getting chances before actually understand the system and be able to come in and do exactly what the starter was going to do. What do you think Gally in terms of like the impact it's going to have across the Premier League? Yeah, I'll, I'll disagree with Paul a little bit on that. I I'll agree with him that I'm very excited 
because I think it lets you see, and as a you know, a football junkie that watches basically every Premier League match that's on television, um, I'm excited to see more players, more subs, better tactics and late game changes and awareness, all that stuff. There's no way it doesn't help the bigger clubs. I mean, from the top to bottom, even like a West Ham who made the move last year, West Ham was basically playing the same 11 every single week and using two of their three subs, the same two subs. And if they were in the lead, they bring on Mark Noble in a Milner role to see how to win. And then the rest of their bench was like youth players. And they were competing down to the Europa League semifinals. But they ran out of gas. They played all the same guys. Their squad's just not deep enough. That team now gets to play against Liverpool, right? And in that second half, Liverpool can bring on Jota, Nunez, Carvalho, Matip, Diaz, like Simicast. Like they're bringing on international quality level players to play against the other team's weakened, you know, tired legs in the 80th minute. And I think if you're City and you can bring on literally five different players that you paid more than 50 million for that are all sitting on your bench, it has to give you an advantage over, you know, Fulham bringing on youth players and kids who couldn't get on the championship side last year. So I I still think it helps the bigger clubs. I'm fine with it because all the rest of Europe was doing it. And why wouldn't you be doing it as well if the rest of Europe is doing it? Um, But I will, I was staying away from that because I'm the fantasy honk, but it is going to kill fantasy. I'm telling you right now, because don't get a, don't get a Spurs fullback. Antonio Conte loves making fullback substitutions in like the 58th minute. He's did it like at like literally every one of his defenders average 55 minutes at Inter Milan. Um, it really is going to mess around and, and jack that up a little bit. So that will be interesting and fun to watch as you see the managers and people pull out their hair. But when we're talking about the real football on the pitch, it should make for exciting games and a little bit more of a tactical change. But I do believe it really helps the sides that have 18 to 19 international quality players and not five kids on the side. Let's so, just make a lineup change real quick. Hold on a second. Yeah, exactly. fantasy football junkie that Bickler is. So that brings me to the next question, which is the managers. Will we get to see, Paul, the difference between the managers in some ways in terms of quality? In two ways. One, having the entire squad ready and understanding of the system. Because like we say, you know, these guys are going to come off the bench. Will they be able to do? Yeah, it's good to have fresh legs. But if you can't keep the same shape or, you know, leave spaces here and there where you shouldn't, it doesn't matter how fresh your legs are. You're not going to cover that ground. And secondly, in-game adjustments. Because let's face it, it's kind of not, it's not very easy to change the entire formation and stuff like that if you only can substitute like one or maybe two guys, because if you make a substitution, let's say early in the game due to an injury or something like that, and then you kind of want to, a guy like club always wants to keep one in his pocket for like a late injury. So he can like substitute for like the 85th, 88th minute kind of deal. That really only gives you one guy to be able to change. And it's not easy to change the entire formation and shape with one formation. Will this enable the good managers like I say, in the sense of making sure everybody on the squad is on the same page, as well as being able to make in-game adjustments, we'll be able to see which manager is actually better in that sense. I mean, it'll be interesting. I mean, because like to Galley's point, quality usually wins out. But I will say that I mean, I think that we're, I think we're making assumptions that that substitutions are always positive changes, and in my opinion, they're not. So I think there will be situations where like somebody over tinkers, maybe a Brendan Rogers or a Pep over tinkers and changes the shape and a formation. And it just completely folds any momentum they have. I could see that happening. And I think that'll be the interesting thing is to see. Um, yeah. What managers can successfully make big changes in big moments and which can't. And I think it's, I think it's truly a 50 prop 50, 50 proposition. I think, I think sometimes we put too much stock in in uh, some manager being a tactical mastermind and, and reading a situation where it's like a lot of just this comes down to very minute things that happen in game. Um, and so I think it'll be a mixed bag altogether. I don't think 
You know, I don't think just because all the big clubs have five subs that like Conte is all of a sudden going to be a, a mastermind and a genius and all five substitutes are going to change a game on its head. I think we're going to see a mix of things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess I brought up Brendan Rodgers and that's probably a sure thing, right? At one point he'll make substitution to screw it up. <laughs> so yeah, right up till he gets fired. But we'll, yeah. we'll get to talking about Lester in the next show. <laughs> So uh, let's go. How about what do you think, Gally? In terms of like the managers, I mean, does it make? Is it going to show if a manager is better or not in that sense? Because I feel like it will more than the in the sense that a squad being trained as a complete squad and everybody knowing their role. I mean, you know. Managers always talk about some guy on the bench comes in and he's like, he always prepares like he's going to start and all that kind of crap. But you can see certain teams where the guy comes in and knows exactly what his role is and what needs to be done in that specific role. And then guys who come in and do great, but they're not actually that great. So next week, that totally like drops off. Why are you talking about Divac like that? What are you talking about? Seriously, why would you talk about Divac like that? Because Divac never showed up ever thinking he was going to start or looking prepared. He barely (laughs) could get out of the warm-up jacket, but then he'd win the game for you. I, you know, and and that's right. Isn't that one of like the amazing things about managers? Like we judge managers on results, but let's be real. The manager should be judged on the work that's done on the training pitch. And I think that's what you see in the really good sides is, is that they have teams it's organize. It's fundamental organization success, top down. It starts with like the food people and the trainers and the physios and the and the assistant coaches that prepare the guys. It's 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 the minutia. And I think the managers that are really good at preparing their teams, they'll be good with three subs. If you went back to one sub or you have eight subs, I really believe that the managers that prepare well will do a great job. But it comes down to the talent. I'm pretty sure Patrick Vieira would look better making substitutions if he had Liverpool's bench instead of Crystal Palace's. And that's where I question whether it helps the big clubs, the small clubs. Will teams over-tinker? Yeah. Will some managers overthink it? I'm sure. You know? And then there'll be some lower teams that pull off some amazing results. But I think we're going to see a lot of... I bet the average substitution per match, per side, is like three and a half. Three and three quarters. I don't think it'll be four or five. I actually think the average will be around where it has been. Somewhere right just over three. Because I don't think the smaller sides are going to make five substitutions. Because I think when you go five subs at Crystal Palace, you are a much, much weaker team or side than you were to start the match. And they can't afford to do that. Or they're going to lose points and drop points in critical spots. So I do think if you chart it out, It'll be the bigger clubs with the bigger squads that use more subs, but that makes sense to me. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I just think that makes sense. Logic and numbers. So you put the over under at three and a half, right? Yeah. I think that's an interesting point. Bickler taking the over or under on that one. Cause that's like, I think that's really interesting. Uh, I mean, I agree with that. I think I agree with that. I think there's probably not going to be huge. I don't think you're going to see a huge change from, from the majority of teams. Like, you're a team with more options you probably use more options right so like yeah i probably agree with that so you're taking bournemouth will be bringing bournemouth will be bringing in the ball boy if they want to go to five subs (laughs) over or under i know you keep avoiding the question but i'll take an answer one way or the other over under a set of three and a half over under three and a half uh it's a pretty low number i'll go over but i don't think by a whole lot Hmm, I'm gonna go under actually, but not a lot. I'm thinking that's actually like you should go, you should get a gig at Vegas. I think three and a half is pretty darn good there, Galley. So definitely is going to be over three and a half uh, this week on Wednesday when we play Salzburg, and then we play the Community Shield game against City on Saturday. Galley, let's start with you. What are you expecting to see in terms of lineups out of these next two games? I think the lineup that we see against City will be the exact starting lineup we saw against Leipzig, except that I think Hendo will start over Keita because I believe Keita was given that run out as a reward for his time at Leipzig and to make sure that he got an ovation when he walked out onto the pitch. So that was, in my opinion, 
kind of today's strongest starting 11, which is, you know, Diaz, Mo, and Bobby, Hendo, Tiago, and uh, Fab, with what I believe is the first choice back four, um, which includes the two world-class fullbacks and Kanate starting as Virgil's partner. And I think that'll be the same lineup we see on opening day as well against Fulham. I agree. I'm not. I, I agree to because we're playing full. Yeah, let's go with Konade. I'm kind of bouncing back and forth between Matzab and Konade in my head, but I'll go with Konade as well. Uh, how about you, Bickler? What are you expecting to see? I don't know. I just can't wait till we're not in the business of projecting uh, preseason lineups anymore. And we're playing city. I mean, that, that, he's going to take that game seriously. He has the other two times. we've been Right. Here. I mean, for, yeah, I, it's going to be the starting 11 as it should be. I mean, like, and I think that starting 11, I agree with you. I think it is Kanate at this point. Um, so, yeah. And I agree with the front three. Um, I think that midfield trio of uh, Hendo, Bobby and Thiago is our best three still. Um, yeah, Diaz, Mo, Nunez up front makes sense to me. Uh, looks like Nunez. I was wondering if Nunez would take some time to to actually gel in and start regularly, but I think the Jota situation has made that so that that is the the sort of obvious move. Is there is there a situation where maybe Bobby sneaks in? I don't know what his fitness looks like. Um, I'm just going to assume it's going to be Nunez right now. So Jamie says trophy, but inside quotation marks. So how much do you care, Bickler, if we take the plate home? Uh, on a scale of one to ten, probably like a seven. It is silverware, okay, and it is city. So um, if we can beat them and get that, I'll take it. Um, I think. So let where me answer becomes... this: since you said it's city, if it was Leicester City instead of Manchester City, would that number change? Uh, I'd still want it. Ed still want it. It's silverware. It's you know what I mean, I think I think we're I think it's important. I think where it gets ridiculous is when people count it towards like the treble or the quad. <laughs> like that's that's right. when you're like, wait a minute, guy. Like, but yeah, no, I, I still I think it's important and I think we want to win it and we should. We and just want like it would be the same, you know, with the other team, even with City as well. It it would probably mean more yeah. because it is us and we have this rivalry going now. But go ahead, Gallagher. We just went through a season where we played for all four, all four trophies on hand, and we and we commended the guys for showing up every day and fighting for everything, right? Fighting for the League Cup, even though they were still in the FA Cup, fighting for the FA Cup, even though they, you know, could have down tools and wanted to, you know, save their legs and cut cut a couple matches off the season. I just think there is a level that this side has gotten to a point when they have a chance to win something, they expect to. And I think winning breeds winning. And I think for that, you don't, you, you lost the last trophy you had a chance to get and you didn't come away with the trophy on the last match of the regular season that you hope to get. So I think you want to get off the snide here to start this season. You want to go to where are we playing? Leicester city. I think we're playing at the King power stadium. You want to go to the King power and you want to bring home that trophy, you know, dinner plate, call it whatever you want. I'll know this. They'll be doing a big old unveiling at Anfield on all the 850 places. They remind everyone how many trophies we have. Should they win another one? Cause it's, it's on the trophy wall. And if it's on the wall to me, it's important enough to try to win. So go get the goddamn trophy. Matusha says, Whoa, Whoa. They won a trophy last week. You guys. Yeah. I mean, they're just passing out these trophies. Trophy making companies are just banking during this preseason. You win a game, get a trophy, kind of a promotion going on. But uh, so, score prediction time. We haven't done this in a while because we really it was almost impossible with the preseason. This is almost like a preseason, but it's not a preseason. So, what do you have, Bickler? Let's start with two-one Liverpool. Two-one Liverpool. Go ahead, Galley. What do you have? I'm going to say we win it 2-0. Really? That's pretty confident. I was going with a more high-scoring kind of an affair, but my heart says we will win this one. Let's go one with 3-1 and start the season with a trophy or a plate or something along those lines. And then 
I know these predictions are always wrong, uh, but I want to kind of like touch real quick. Klopp, again, today said that, you know, I know uh, he's, Bickler's big on Klopp's honesty, uh, but he did leave a door open when, you know, he was asked about it. He always does that where he kind of like says no, but then, you know, like this can happen kind of a thing, like on the way out kind of deal. Uh, do you expect anything coming in or with nobody major moving Bickler, this is pretty much the squad we're riding at least until the World Cup? I have absolutely no idea. I have no idea, and I will give a non-answer the same way that Klopp gives a non-answer to everything, and everyone's like, oh. Uh, so, yeah, there's my non-answer. Even open, like, open, leave an open door like Klopp at the end. Like, I might give an answer tomorrow. You never know. Well, if Ox breaks his leg, maybe we'll move for a midfielder. Uh, I mean, like, I, I, if I had to guess, I would say I don't think we're done. But that's just a guess. Pretty sure it is, Jamie. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I was there. I think I got pictures of them when I was there, and I'm pretty sure it is on the wall. Um, Jamie says there's no way the Community Shield is on the trophy wall. I thought they were. Oh, let's settle this. We got to pull it up. So, (laughs) Alexa, what I will say, I don't know. Jamie got me so confused, I forgot the question. Oh, no more signings. That's the answer. No more signings. Um, And the only reason I say it is, is, I don't know we were ever really in the Mendez deal. I think we really did try to sign Jude Bellingham. I will say this. If there is a chance, if a signing happens, it will be Liverpool pulling off the coup of coups and doing what I said on this podcast, what, two months ago, which is pulling off signing Jude Bellingham now to be delivered in the summer of 2023. That's the only way I think they make a move is if they actually thought they could pay extra now and allow themselves to secure his rights then. Why would Dortmund do it with England, you know, a pretty high favorite to go far in the World Cup and Bellingham most likely to be one of the stars at it? Um, I genuinely do believe that that would be the only way that there would be an announcement or a signing made. I will be all over that. I'm totally okay with a Keita type deal when it comes to that. So last question for you guys. If this is the business who, you know, this is all we're doing right now. And this is how we're entering the season without any other signings. Do you guys see this team stronger, weaker, the same compared to last season? Gally, let's start with you. I'd say that it's stronger. Why do you say stronger? I think it's stronger because (laughs) I I think, I think the side is stronger because we've purchased two class attackers, honestly, in my opinion, to replace one in Carvalho and Nunez. I think that Mo is re-signed without his contract hanging over his head. And I expect a better full campaign out of the best player at our squad. And I'm going to say this and get killed while I wear the shirt. I believe having Kanate in year two as your starting center back pairing is a better center back pairing than Matip and Van Dyke, even though Matip might've been the best center back in the league for the first half of last year. So for me, that's a better side. And I know Sadio Mane is great, but Sadio Mane went 18 months that, basically 60% of Liverpool fans outside of a small population on Facebook that still believes he's on the squad actually wanted him replaced by different members of the team at times. Cause he played so poorly for a consistent amount of time. So to me, I just feel like this team has improved in areas and other than Sadio, who did they lose? And you can't tell me Taki and Origi are, are reasons to say that this team's worse. So oh, for me, going to be bad now. They're better. For me, they're better than they were last year. At this time last year, they're a better side. Because I know what it's not that Dickler. Stronger, weaker, about the same. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little bit controversial. I think our starting eleven is weaker right now. I think the the squad is stronger, and I think it's a more versatile squad. I have a major issue with our midfield. In the fact that we didn't address it outside of buying more attacking midfielders, which we have like nine of. Um, so um, that is my biggest thing. I think our, our top four midfielders have serious age and durability issues. 
Um, and that is a serious concern for me. Um, but I think the squad on the whole is better. I don't think the starting 11 is better yet. I think by week four or five of the season, it could be. But I think it's too early to say that now. So you thought – I just want to ask a question, though, Paul. You thought that a member – you thought that they should buy a player that was going to unseat Henderson, Fabinho, or Thiago in the starting 11? Because to me, if they did that, they would have bought Bellingham or Tushinami. And, and you know, mm-hmm. we knew we weren't we, getting we him tried. as I know. We were at the, fi- I know we're at the we final table with Chiuameni, which means we wanted to. So, so you were ready to sit Henderson? One of those three. But, I don't think it has to be Henderson. Tiago was the best midfielder of the bunch last year, and Fabinho does a job that no How one often was Tiago available, though? But I think that goes back to what Paul is talking about. I think it's not a matter of, you know, like being a guaranteed starter and being in the starting mm-hmm. 11. I think it's the fact that these guys are getting older. So Hando was not, is not the same because he's a player, for example, that plays all on energy. That's his biggest thing. So I think if he's not fully fit and going full speed, he's not as good. I think getting a player like that might not, you know, move Hando out of the 11 or the Thiago out of the 11, but it will enable us to give Thiago that rest and give I'm Hando not going to prioritize any of them. My main thing is, is like, here's the thing. And I'll, I'll go against the, the crowd here in the channel uh, on the right. I think that Henderson is just important as Thiago is to the side. Okay. I think that they're both incredibly important, but I think if you're looking and telling me that Klopp is happy with his backup central defensive midfielder being Jordan Henderson or Milner, that's bullshit. He's not like, and, and that's, that's the issue for me. Then they should have bought one. Cause here's the thing. Bellingham's not a defensive midfielder. I, I agree. They should have bought one, but I think the problem is, is that if you have Bellingham, you have more rest for players to rotate in behind. Fabinho and I agree. Hurt. I, I think there's a good argument and a shout that Henderson is the backup six. And by the end of the season, that might be his role. That he may be as he gets older, that's, and that's and, you know what, that's fine if you have another body. Like if you've got yeah. another guy that's a starting caliber mid in his spot, that's fine. And and I think that's where Paul, I think the only way it really happens is when we do shift after the World Cup to the four to more of a four two three one. Because I do believe that what we saw out of Harvey playing in the eight last year to start the season was what the plan was. But I think he's going to be the guy who wins the job as the first number 10 behind the set striker, uh, whether that's Bobby Nunez, Jota. And I think that's what really it does is it makes us so much to your point, Paul, maybe it was a good point that we're deeper than we are better. Um, Because if you have a bench with Bobby Nunez or Jota, two of those three sitting on it with Carvalho, you really have a different level of depth and offensive security. I mean, last year, those positions were Ox, Taki, and Origi. And now you're Dude, talking about... Divock hate tonight. Jesus. It, it, but yeah, not I think, hate. No, I hear you. I hear you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I think know. I would say we're about the same, basically due to a combination of what you guys just said. I am kind of like what Bickler is saying, worried about, you know, that same midfield that we relied on last year, now a year older, where three of them were already older, if you will. I'm not saying I say old, but older. Uh, but at the same time, I do like how we can impact a game and have more changes up top, despite losing Mane, who, I mean, obviously was extremely valuable. And, you know, I know, you know, people just look at numbers and stuff like that, but what he did on the field and everything like that, I think he will be missed, but I think that will be replaced. So I'm going to say about the same just because of that. I think we've gained that depth and being able to shift and modify things and all that. But I do worry about the midfield. And that's why if we had someone who can kind of come in and relieve any of those midfielders that we're talking about and provide the same level, I would feel so much better going into the season. I think it's more of a worry and concern than just looking at the paper. Like if it was one game right now, okay, that's fine. But we're looking at the whole season. That kind of concerns mm-hmm. me. That's why I say we're probably about the same. But we shall find out. And then a week from now, when we get together, hopefully I'll bring the plates over and we'll have a plates with us. We'll have Beat City and start with a trophy, as Jamie was saying. So, 
gentlemen, every, thanks to everybody who's commenting, liking, sending hearts and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, please make sure to head over to the YouTube channel. There's a bunch of stuff coming up this week. Too long to list. But uh, make sure you're subscribed so you get notifications as we add more and more videos there. Thanks a lot, gentlemen. And thanks to everybody listening. See you guys next week.